You're on Beta. BFF.FM. FM, you're on Baytime. I'm Christopher Beale, live at San Francisco's iconic Ferry Building. I turned the uh, the outside mic on because I just want you to hear that that ambiance. I'm in a really good mood today. That ambiance is going to be filled by Pollo Del Mar. So excited about this! She'll be here about 4:30. I'm in a good mood. I have something to celebrate. I'll share that with you in a few minutes. You're live on Baytime. Like you And I know that we shouldn't But I 
BFF.FM. Best frequencies forever. San Francisco's iconic ferry building. You're on Baytime. I'm Christopher Beal. I'm in a really good mood today because the day started out awful. I had like an old man problem where uh, like my, my back was hurting and I don't, I didn't really do anything super athletic. I think I actually hurt myself typing, you know, because life. Um, but I actually got some good news. There was a, 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 professionally, there was a fellowship that I've been trying to get. I'm trying to break into a new industry and I was supposed to find out today and I didn't find out before I left the apartment. And so I was carrying that anxiety down here. Am I going to get this? I hope I get it. I hope I get it. I hope I get it. I'm happy to report that um, as I was sitting down in the studio today, 
I got the fellowship. So I'm pretty stoked about that. I'm in a good mood. I'm also in a good mood because Poya Del Mar is sitting across from me. So uh, we might get her in here early in just a little bit. First, the Aces, Kelly, Villagers, Keenan Lonsdale coming up on BFF.
you're on Baytime. BFF.FM. Lonsdale on BFF.FM. You're on Baytime. I'm Christopher Beal, live at the Ferry Building in San Francisco. The sun is out, which is a relatively new phenomenon because that was not the case even up to an hour ago. It's been cloudy all morning. 
kind of one of those depressing blech, days in the city. And now the plaza is full of skateboarders and people are walking. And sitting across from me is a San Francisco icon. Her her wiki page is overflowing with accolades and accomplishments. Just to name a few of those, she's a drag queen, a journalist, an activist, and a professional wrestling performer. This Saturday, she'll be appearing at Effie's Big Gay Brunch as part of the festivities around WrestleMania weekend in Tampa. But today, she is here in the flesh at the Ferry Building. It's Pollo Del Mar. Welcome to On Bay Time. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, you have a good radio voice. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's very, we should, good, good times. Good I know. Times. I, could, yeah. I could soften it down and sound like a phone sex operator. <laughs> Hi. Let's just do let's just do two hours of that. Hi. 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 I'm just sitting here in the frigid outdoor weather just waiting for someone like you to call. <laughs> Underneath Cute all Adele. these layers and layers of clothing, I'm just naked as the day I was born. Please don't get me moist because it gets very chilly in this <laughs> Ooh, cool San Francisco air. All right, so I need to add uh, I need to add phone sex operator to this uh, to this bio. But uh, but otherwise, how how did I do? Is there is there something that was glaringly omitted in that introduction, or do you feel um, like that nailed it? No, it's pretty good. You know, I'm like I when I read that list of accolades and people randomly keep going on there and adding more and more things and whatever. And it's not that I um, have my wiki page bookmarked or whatever and it's certainly not that I don't but um you know I go on and I check it out and it's it's weird the things that people put on there like I kept trying to take my actual government name out of that thing a million times and it's not going to happen so um so you're telling me you you're not Poya Del Mar by birth um no you know like um, <laughs> Mama Del Mar would say probably different because I've probably been this way since I was born but not by name so, when, you, yeah. when you say this way, what does that mean? Uh, I mean that uh, I've always been, a, I was a flamboyant child. I was very outspoken. I was very over the top, even as a kid. So I think that uh, finally, at some point in my adulthood, I grew into the personality that I was born with. Mm, I like that. I like that. When did you, uh, where did you grow up and how did you end up in San Francisco? Because I think everybody has their own pilgrimage to get here. Of course. You know, I was born in Ohio and then I, at a very young age moved to Texas where I spent most of my elementary school years before eventually my family moved quite often. So we wound up in Ocala, Florida for me to go to high school. <laughs> no way. You and I have way too much yeah, in I went to Florida. High, Come back I, to that. I went to <laughs> high school in Ocala, Florida. And then my best friend from high school had had left a year ahead of me to go to college and he went to a small private school in Cleveland and I spent eight years in Cleveland as a result which is why this morning when I found out that you had so weird. spent time uh, in Cleveland and we have a mutual friend in Brooke Willis in Cleveland I was like wait a minute can here. I blow your mind I grew up in Florida really where I grew up in Orlando okay and I still currently host a radio show in Gainesville Florida yeah, so, from San Francisco. Wow, that's you know that's the <laughs> phenomenon. Which is near Ocala for people that don't know Florida. Yeah, so actually, um, in Ocala, there's I actually my very first job. I'll blow your mind. My very first job, <laughs> um, at actually pretty much was doing a, a Sunday morning radio show on WTMC Paradise 1290, Ocala, Florida. That explains it's the dol- radio voice It's a thing. Dolphins radio network. And I also have a degree in broadcasting. Do you really? Yeah, I have a degree oh in broadcasting. Oh my gosh, this is so weird. Yeah, I have, uh, I'm have. a broadcast journalism major uh, with and a political science major. I'm a double degree from uh, Baltimore College, now University in Berea, Ohio. 
and you mentioned the Cleveland connection, yes, but to, so we don't bulldoze over that. I, I, I did a couple of years in Cleveland during my broadcasting career, yeah. which I recently gave up to move to the city and become a, a journalist and, I guess, part-time broadcaster. So, yeah, you and I have, have kind of near-missed each other. It's very weird how often you run into people specifically from Cleveland or, or thereabouts, <laughs> right, so. and it's a very unusual. You know, interestingly enough, I moved to San Francisco in 1999, and it was just because I had dreams that were bigger than Cleveland would allow. You mm-hmm. know, we talk about, uh, or in nature, there's such thing as there's certain kind of fish that they will only grow as large as the tank that they're in. Mm-hmm. And I was aware from a, a young age that I was too big for the tank that I was in. So I left Cleveland in 1999 and I came here, but the point I was actually going to make is when I first arrived, people would be like, oh, so glad you escaped. Oh, good, lucky you, you got out. And I never felt that way. Cleveland's I, so great. I never yeah. felt that way. I loved Cleveland and I, I loved my friends in Cleveland. I loved the social circle that I had developed for myself there, both in college and afterwards, which fortunately for me after college was an extension of college because so many of my friends remained really close after we graduated and there were tremendous opportunities available to me in cleveland that's actually where i broke into professional wrestling for the first time all those years ago but that's where that's where i broke back in yeah so it was um, (laughs) it was just sheerly a simple fact of i wanted to do things for myself that i just didn't see happening in cleveland and san francisco wasn't even my first choice in California. Um, my first choice in California was San Diego, and I was working for a company that simply didn't have an office in San Diego. So they said, you can go to L.A. or San Francisco. And I, I took a flight out here to do an interview session for that company. And within days, as is often the case, I was in love with San Francisco, and I lived here probably. That was the second week of February, and I was living here the second week of April. So it took two months to so pack been, up my you, life. You've been here, here since 99. I have. How many times in that, what is that, 23 years, almost 23 years, in that time, how many times have you seen San Francisco be canceled, be over, be done like it is right now? It's so terrible here. You know, uh, probably a lot. A lot, you know, and it's interesting to note that when I first arrived in San Francisco in 1999, People were already talking about how San Francisco had ch- changed so dramatically since just a few years before. And there were definite things within uh, the community that I was participating in, meaning that largely the LGBTQ community, that led to that. You know, we had just come through a horrendous time with the AIDS crisis mm-hmm. and and the death of... Which people so forget many- went well into the 90s. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, we it started... Uh, in the early 80s, actually late 70s, and but it hit its peak really with um, things like becoming a turning point in it, in that fight against AIDS and HIV in the mid 90s when people were really, actually more people were dying of the the medication that they were being, mm-hmm. being given at that time than they were of the actual virus. They just didn't have time to die of AIDS or HIV related illnesses because the medication was killing them so much quickly, more quickly. But so, and San Francisco wasn't over then. Oh, I mean, you know, I think that, but th- that led to the the kind of turnover and change in the city that I was experiencing when I arrived in '99, because there, you know, an entire generation of creative people and movers and shakers in the LGBTQ community had just died. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, the city died with them. A lot of the people, what makes a city vibrant and incredible is the people and the people that were making the city vibrant and incredible at that time, many of them were gone. Mm. And those who still remained, sadly, were in a ridiculous and horrendous and completely understandable depression, right? So, because it, it was terrible. Uh, um, you know, I would say that since then, you, you heard you heard who I'm about to play, didn't you? Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna go local. More with uh, Poyo Damar. We're gonna talk about drag. We're gonna get real specific here. Uh, give us about nine minutes. You're on Bay yes. live on BFF.FM.
San Francisco on Baytime.
have you blown my phone Talking about you all alone What's that gotta do with me? Since you broke me off You ain't crossed my mind So I don't know why you waste your time I guess you're not over me So I'm saying Say it, you don't hear Alex Newell on commercial radio, but you do hear Alex Newell on BFF.FM. You're on Baytime. That's why you hear all of that noise. Listen to that. 
That's the sound of Embarcadero Plaza. We're live at the Ferry Building. Polya Del Mar is sitting there uh, outside our little fast food window. Outside. Can I get you a fry or, <laughs> or something? Can I get some fries with that shake, shake booty? What do you? If, if, you, if, if you had to guess, you what do you think? Uzi. This little <laughs> or a shotgun? Bang. What's, What's up, up with that, that thing? thing? Okay, all right, I got you. I caught. I want to know how, how does, does it hang? hang? Straight up. Wait, wait up, up. Hold up. up. Okay. What do you think this used to be? Because um, this studio thing. Because uh, it's your first time visiting this. Yeah. Right? So I would say that this studio used to be like a lemonade or ice cream stand. Oh my goodness! You are way closer than it, it was a yogurt stand. Yeah. Was it the hand-washing sink directly behind me that gave it away? I didn't even notice the hand-washing sink. I just looked at the location of it and the shape of it, and I was like, I'd put a, like an ice cream thing up in here. Do you want some French lavender hand sanitizer? Oh, yeah, sure, why not? Oh, my gosh, how we, luxurious. We, want, we, we do want our hands to smell nice. Because for this next part, we both want to smell pretty, because I want to talk to you about drag. And I want to start out a little I bit I know fun. nothing about drag. Yes, you do. Um... Let's talk for a second about your drag aesthetic. For someone that's never laid eyes on Pollo Del Mar before and is just listening to this and going, who's she? Um, describe Pollo Del Mar to, to the listener. Okay, so if you've never seen my actual in-person drag, if you imagine Anna Nicole Smith at her worst <laughs> and imagine her having just had okay. anal sex behind a dumpster. <laughs> oh, God. It's real close. It's real close. Or now, is this intentional, or is this uh, just the way? It I mean, out? I think that's just how it turned out. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think that's just who I am. But the other part of it is, I always uh, tell people, like, if you imagine, if you go back on YouTube and watch one of those 1980s, late 80s rock videos where there's like some woman rolling around on the hood of a, a Firebird or some oh, yeah. sports car, yeah. that's you. Imagine her age progressed like 20 years. <laughs> After like six kids, and she has no idea that she no longer fits in that outfit, but she's still willing to rock it. That is me. So I, I you know, I believe myself to be the prettiest girl in any trailer park. So that's really who I am, and that's and that is kind of intentional. And it's one of the reasons, you know, I my initial inspiration for Poyo's aesthetic, her physical appearance, was Anna Nicole Smith, and I related to her greatly because. She was uh, kind of a small town Texas beauty, and she was discovered very quickly, rose to fame, and she, people forget this about her, but you know, her initial claim to fame was being a plus size model. I mean, she was like oh, a size. I forgot about she that. She was like yeah. a size ten. Can you imagine? She was somebody, always like a thick girl. She, yeah. she but. She was a size ten. Size no, 10 I mean by today. Not, you know, no, like, but, but like by by traditional yes, beauty standards exactly. of the day, she was a thick girl. You yeah. know, by guess jean standards, right. she was big, I guess. And I'm like, she looks. First of all, there's no woman who's considers themselves plus size who looks at any photo of Anna Nicole Smith ever and was would not be like that skinny bitch, <laughs> you know. But. <laughs> but but fashion industry has told us that someone who like does not appear to be bulimic and anorexic, you know, visibly bulimic and anorexic is, you know, plus size. So um, I, you know, I, really I feel like that affects gay her. men too, though, I, for the record. I, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I think that gay men adopt a lot of the issues that women have, which yeah. is, you know, like this social expectation of perfection. And mm -hmm. I think that. You know, I certainly will tell you in my own story well before drag ever became part of it that 
you know, I had I had eating disorders and I went through a period of time where my a tremendous body dysmorphia issues and still to this day, like, you know, I I'll say things like, oh, my God, I'm so fat. And people will be like, you don't look fat or and it's not about a reality. It's about a feeling of how, you know, I feel in comparison to what the perfection standard is that I had for myself or others. Do you look back at photos of yourself back when you thought you looked horrible and go, oh, my God, you looked amazing. Like, and you, what was going on in your head? You looked great. Because that happens to me a lot. Yeah, I look back at a lot of photos. I, there was a period of time when I, when I was thinking to myself, God, I just wish I was as thin as I was when I thought I was fat. You know, but for real. But there's uh, there are other photos I look back and I was like, okay, you you're real, you're a toad. Okay, you know, like you were, and you know, and that's it was okay. I was still happy. I was still gregarious. Um, and honestly, I think that having grown up as a pretty plump kid, the personality that I had and had to rely on, and the wit and all of those things later on, back to the topic at hand really made me successful in drag because it made me a person that people enjoyed being around uh, with the outside or exterior package not being a factor. When uh, when did you initially get into drag? I My very first time doing drag was 1999, actually. Well, actually, the very first time I did drag was I dressed as... Uh, I convinced my grandmother that Boy George was heterosexual, and so I went as, <laughs> I, I went as Boy George. No way. For Halloween when I was in fifth grade. My, I was like, no, Grandma, he's not gay. He's just a showman. God. He's just enthusiastic. He's just very, you know, colorful and flamboyant. He's a showman. Uh, but then... Uh, in 1999, right before I moved here, I did drag again, and then shortly after. But when Pollo Del Mar was born, was uh, the very date was April 27th, 2006. Oh wow, that's very specific. Why that There's, day? Uh, I actually I know the date just because of the fact that you know I am uh, I'm I've been many many years sober, as most people who know me know. I went through a real rough patch in those early years of San Francisco because you can't party anywhere like you can party in San Francisco. That's I found good for that. Yeah, and um, I had gotten sober. And it was exactly two years and seven days to the date after I got sober that I did drag for the first time at a fundraising event. Mm. So, and like Anna Nicole Smith, I went out that night in drag and was legitimately plucked out of an audience, put on a stage, <laughs> and became uh, like a star of that particular show for a good year and a half. And the rest is history. Absolutely correct. Uh, thank. Shout out to my dearly departed drag sister cookie dough who was the one who found me in that audience and pulled me on her stage i think what impresses me about you is that you you're not and i i, I don't want to be reductionist when i say just don't take this the wrong way drag queens i love you you're not just uh performs at a bar on friday night drag queen like you work your drag aesthetic into um everything you do into your your journalism your your activism your professional wrestling which we're going to talk about a little bit later on the show because you have a show coming up wrestlemania weekend which is this weekend but um you you work your drag your drag character may be the wrong word persona into into everything you do was that is that intentional or did it just kind of happen that way no it was extremely intentional and you know i don't take it as reductionist other people might to say oh you're not just a drag performer and there is i want to give a shout out to all my girlfriends for real. across the world who are able to actually earn a living and performing and performance in bars and on stage is their love and passion and i love that as well but the, the actual performance, that four minutes of a lip sync or whatever, that was never really my passion. My passion was for that personality. And my gift is actually being an MC of a show, which is far m more difficult at times to come by than uh, getting opportunities to just go somewhere and perform on a stage. 
So, but I, my interests were so incredibly varied and I was simultaneous to starting drag. I had been a professional journalist. I was writing freelance for about 70 publications around the world. Wow. And I'm talking uh, everything, like some coffee publication in China, no lie. Somebody had to translate that crap for me because I certainly don't know speak Chinese, but you I'm know, amazed though. I'm currently at like three. So good, I, I was doing job. about 70 <laughs> at, at any given time. And the what ended up happening, because I was largely working for LGBTQ plus uh, publications at that time, and the Advocate and Out Magazine merged. And people were like, how did that change things on a local level? Well, when they merged, it reduced all competition at a national level for LGBT publications. And then they went on a buying spree. So they started buying out all the localized publications with the, yeah. only a handful, like the Bay Area Reporter, which just celebrated 50 years here in San Francisco, continuing to exist. So my opportunity to be a um, working journalist changed simultaneous to starting with drag. And so that's within six months, drag was paying my bills. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. But at the same time, I w after all those years of being a journalist, nobody was ever commenting on like, oh, I saw your article in the paper or whatever. And as it turned out, uh, Gloss Magazine here in San Francisco gave me an opportunity to write an article for them. And they put my photo next to it, you know, in drag. And I was walking down the streets in the Castro and everybody was like, oh my God, I saw your picture. You know, you saw your article. I saw it. And I was like, oh my God, you have to be in drag to get anybody to notice your damn article around yeah, here. Apparently, like, yeah. So then very quickly, Pollo Del Mar became just a brand, you know, mm -hmm. that she was journalism. She was drag bingo. She was uh, hosting your show. She was producing Gay Day at Great America, which uh, as I told you in the break, I actually had Alex Newell as one of our headliners and Wendy Williams and a few other people, Ross Matthews. So I was doing a lot of things and it just happened that drag opened a door for me. And in terms of activism, uh, you know, that really launched largely in 2008 when Prop 8, which was against uh, same-sex marriage here in San Francisco and California passed. And I just went to one of the rallies like in opposition of that passage of that law. And I was in drag and somebody handed me a bullhorn because they said people stick yeah <laughs> because people were like so the person said we don't have any li speakers lined up and people in the community know you um you're you know you're larger than life just say something and the next thing i knew uh for six or seven months i was <laughs> traveling around in a uh shira outfit talking you know <laughs> leading rallies all over northern california and and it was life-changing so you know th those things i think um Poyo Del Mar is my superhero. You know, mm. she is able to do things that Paul Pratt cannot do and gets attention in ways that I can't. And so it's a real name sighting. Yeah, everybody. exactly. Real name sighting. You know, and I'm not, I'm not, I just already mentioned earlier that if you went to Wikipedia, you can find it. So, you know, <laughs> Paul, Paul E. Pratt was um, a prolific journalist beforehand and Poyo Del Mar has just taken that mantle and run with it. And at some point, you know, my plan is I'm, I'm writing a book and uh, that will be published under my real name much because my mom begged me. <laughs> but um, it was started when I was writing for Huffington Post under Poyo Del Mar's name. So, you know, it's there's every it will be forever mixed. And I think that part and, of, and I definitely want to go more in depth into your journalism yeah, of course, as the but, show comes on. But I think in terms of drag, like I, for me, the reason that they're so intertwined is because drag is like porn. You know, you <laughs> like you do like if somebody does one porn video, it's living on the internet for the rest of their life, yeah, and it's true. gonna it will always come back to haunt you, or it will come back to be re, you know reminded to you. I, I, you know, I don't think that it should be haunting anyone. But the fact is that if 
I spent five years or 10 years or at this point, 15 years doing drag. And if I stopped right now, if I said, you know what? I'm never doing drag again. You'll still always be Pollo Del Mar. It would always be Pollo Del Mar because there are people around the world who only know me as that. So I embrace that and I take it, you know, to larger levels. And plus, like in the world of professional wrestling, it gave me an, an in in a way that I probably wouldn't have gotten, you know, and we'll get to wrestling too. But mm -hmm. it was just the sheer fact that there are a lot of men like me out there who are involved in the world of professional wrestling. There are not a lot of women like her. Yeah. So, no, that's you true. know, and, and I, I view that character as a woman. So she is very unique in that world. And it's given she's opened a lot of doors for me. And I'm forever grateful to that. Tell me the story behind the song "Made You Look" with Kwanzaa Jones. Okay, so um, when did this this when did this come out? What year was it? The the year it came out, I believe, is two thousand and oh god, it's two I think two thirteen maybe thirteen or fourteen. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's like two two thirteen. I should have that information. In front it's of me probably twenty thirteen, <laughs> but how it came out is Kwanzaa was uh, she's a. She was a Billboard Top Ten charting dance artist, and a friend of mine was one of her publicists and sent me some of her early music, and there were some remixes I really loved of it. But her name is Kwanzaa Jones, and that's her real name. And she went to Princeton, and she's a real thing. And she's a powerhouse. But I became obsessed with Kwanzaa Jones because the name gagged me. I live for it. It sounded like a drag name to me, and I love it. And um, I became obsessed with her. And, the, and I have this unique ability to love things into existence. I love them so much that they are drawn to me. It's like the, you know, what, what is that called? The secret, right? Mm -hmm. And putting it out to the universe. Yes, I put yeah. it out in the universe. And I swear to God, I became obsessed with her. And three months later, I get this message like, hey, we're bringing Kwanzaa Jones to town. And she told us she wants to work with you. So we hit it off. We did a show together and we hit it off. And I kept in touch with her. I tried to keep in touch with all these people I meet through my professional connections and build some great relationships. And about a year later, I sent her this song idea. I was like, you know, what if we did a collaboration together? And this is the concept for it. And and I had written out lyrics and all this stuff. I was sitting at Harvey's in the Castro, and I wrote my lyrics that you'll hear eventually. Um, shout and, out to Harvey's. And, and shout out to Harvey's in the Castro. Keep them open because everything is closing. So go over there and have a... Get, salad get you a cheeseburger they have mezcal y'all and go, go, go and, and go go see uh lulu lulu ramirez works there yeah but she she doesn't work there under lulu but she looks exactly like lulu sorry and then there's Milton. david the cute little disney gay i like him too but so I, that's because i'm a disney gay carry on yeah so i was sitting at the bar um at at harvey's and writing out these lyrics and then i texted over her and a couple weeks later, we were sitting in a studio in Los Angeles with a producer who has a Grammy nomination on the wall because he worked on the first Katy Perry album, and I was mind blown. So this is Totes Profesh, what we're about to hear. Yeah. Then, um, Well, I'm excited to share this. Listen for uh, Pollo Del Mar throughout the track and then uh, on the rap verse about three quarters of the way through. I'm excited. It's the first time this is playing on BFF.FM. Or anywhere, probably. Made you look...
Quanza Jones, Pollo Del Mar, Made You Look. That is a BFF.FM. Let's call it a world premiere. Basically, because I can't imagine any other radio stations ever played it. And that's a problem um, that we'll we'll come back to. Uh, um, Drag has become 
uh, to continue our conversation about drag. Also, by the way, great job on the song. Thank you. You got flow. I like it. Um, drag has become more mainstream in, say, the last decade, thanks in part, um, in large part, to give credit where credit's due, um, to RuPaul's Drag Race um, on television. Yeah. Now Absolutely. it seems like they're, the seasons overlap and it, they're literally on every single week and you cannot get a break from it. Um, I stopped following it years ago just because I got tired. Me too. <laughs> but but what do you think, as, as a person that um, that approaches drag from a completely non-traditional perspective compared to a lot of a lot of queens, the way they, they break in, um, what do you think RuPaul's Drag Race has done for drag, and do you think it's been positive or negative? There's a lot that Drag Race has done for um, performers around the world. You know, I think that, number one, the first thing, when we talk about the kind of ongoing evolution of, of drag, I suspect that there was not a small child who had words for what they might become at some point, mm-hmm. you know, many years ago. And now there's young kids who are watching RuPaul's Drag Race and beginning to identify who they are in terms of their gender identity or sexuality. And they're literally like, when I grow up, I want to be on RuPaul's Drag Race. Well, let's listen to that. That's nice. It's five o'clock. Sorry, continue. Uh, yeah, so now they see themselves so, on television. Yeah, and so just so you know, those chimes were a cool breeze blowing past my anus. And <laughs> oh god, oh god, there's a second one. Woo. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. it's, there's five of them, so keep going. Oh yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, I like the salty sea air. I'm sorry, on Baytime listeners. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not sorry, go on. But, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race has certainly revolutionized drag, and it's returned drag to a place in our community that we have gone through cycles in the in the gay community, the LGBTQ community, because there was a time, for example, when I think in the late 90s into the early 2000s, where I remember the gay community's perspective was this huge push to um, remind straight people, like, oh, you know, no, gays are just like you. We're not we're not so different. Yeah. We're just like you. And that has not been my perspective on life for a really long time. My perspective is I will be damned if I'm anything like you. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we definitely have commonalities. We have things that we can agree upon. We have um, needs as humans. But I do not need to be like you and you do not need to be like me to be respectful of one another. So that's a different approach. And in that approach that we had where we wanted to be seen as just like heterosexual people, drag queens and performers who had always been a heart of our community were pushed to the side because they did not reflect the values that we wanted to reflect to those, you know, suburbanite homes. For lack of a better term, they didn't pass. Uh, yeah, well, it was, yeah, it was like we were... We were shamed because, oh my God, like, you know, and even in 2008, when that whole thing with uh, Prop 8 happened, I got attacked by a group of people that I'd known before that whole thing went down that was like, you, of all people, do not need to be the face of this, you know, like, you don't need to be out there and drag talking about this because this is not the way we're going to get acceptance. And I was like... F acceptance. This isn't about like acceptance. This is about equality. Like I'm not asking for them to accept me. You do not have to have acceptance or even somebody's respect to be treated equally. And especially when it comes to the law, we are supposed to be created equal and we should be treated as such. And that goes across all different platforms from gay to ethnicity, to gender identity, to race, 
religion, all of it. Like, you know, every person should have equal rights. And it does not matter if an individual looks like you or not. They have been given those rights by simply being born. So, um, in terms of drag race, it's just a shame you're so terrible at this. You know, because you could probably make a difference if you. If, you, if I was like, no, a, no, you're just you're very eloquent. You're very good at, at expressing what you're trying to say. I'm, I'm well, mesmerized. I, you know, part of that sound. I, I don't want it to seem like that was completely unrehearsed because I had years of saying that because that's what we were promoting and what we were talking about at all those rallies that we did you know equality is not based on acceptance or respect it's based on equality and one's legal standing within our society so um back to drag race you know (laughs) drag race has done amazing things in terms of elevating us again us meaning drag queens to celebrity status you know we have been able to i've seen an explosion of drag here in san francisco after that and there's uh, the, you mentioned like I came into this in kind of a non-traditional way. That's because I'm not a, some young person who presumably saw Drag Race on TV at some point and was like, oh, I want to get on TV and I'm going to try yeah, this. Yeah, it wasn't your intro. Uh, I mean, it was definitely not. I was doing this before Drag Race and I tried really hard in the first several years of Drag Race to get on and I didn't. And um, that was a real Debbie Downer. It's a loss, by the way. It, it was a real Debbie Downer at that time. Your confessionals alone I would live for. In my reads. But the... <laughs> The fact was that one of the things that I think has been a negative in some small way that Drag Race has done is there was a time when you could literally look at a drag performer and wager a pretty solid guess where they were from geographically because there were pockets of drag and there were styles and aesthetics of drag that were so unique and so beautiful and the especially north versus south and the west coast east coast yes and you know there was all of these pockets of drag and you could it was really fun to um you know get to see different styles and performances when you traveled around and because of rupaul's drag race those barriers have been broken down so in one way it's great because now you can be in chicago and if you don't look a certain way you can still get in shows because Mm -hmm. you know people have been um, kind of immunized to, to those distinctions and actually been programmed to want those kind of distinctions. But I really did love the time when we had those sort of geographic distinctions in drag. Of course, I'm also the person who distinctly loved when we lived in gay ghettos where you could go when there was only gay people and that, you know, um, I could walk down the streets of the Castro and be not, not be mowed down by a, to somebody who <laughs> could possibly be a little out of touch with what's current and and today but you know drag race has done some amazing things in in terms of the financial element i was able to make a very good career uh, because of drag race i was the first person in san francisco to actually start bringing drag race performers to town um in a time when people were like oh you can't make money doing that you can't make money doing that and then it became so ubiquitous that you literally could not make money doing it because there was a different performer in town every five seconds and unfortunately because there were 73 seasons of rupaul's drag race so it was really hard to figure out which girl was going to get her five minutes of, of fame and opportunity and i feel really horrible for these newer girls because i don't think they'll ever they definitely reach a, a broader audience in terms of their television viewing because it's on vh1 now right not yeah. not logo and these other channels but at the same time they don't have the you know travel opportunities especially with covid that girls that came before did Poyo Del Mar is my guest. You're live on Baytime from the Ferry Building. We're going to talk about journalism. We're going to talk about professional wrestling. Yeah. Coming up on BFF.FM. Oh. Cross my heart. 
Tattoos. Your friends took you home and I slept all by myself I'd rather be alone than with somebody else Is it something that we can work out with time? I know we both said things like cross that line Maybe my head's not in the right place right now Oh, 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 oh,
Yes, I said that I love casually We're always saying a thing could come between days I think that meant more to me than to you, I guess Is this something that we can work out with time? I know we both said things like Christ that mind Maybe my head's not in the right place right now You're on Baytime. BFF.FM.
Life.fm is an award-winning community radio station coming to you 24-7 from the heart of San Francisco. I love BFF.fm because of what it represents, you know, a uniting of the local music community. The diversity of shows is way more fun than any kind of commercial radio you might find. Become a monthly donor and you'll be connected to a cool community of music lovers helping us build strong community radio for San Francisco. Our besties. I get to go to these cool bestie bashes and I get to have a sweet members only pin and I get to feel like I'm contributing to the community. Join us at bff.fm slash donate. BFF.fm streaming with my besties. Six minutes away from more with Pollo Del Mar. We're going to talk about journalism on BFF.fm. You're on Baytime, live from San Francisco's iconic Ferry Building. And I want to introduce you to new music from an artist we've been playing a lot recently, Matt Jaffe, San Francisco artist. This is Voodoo Doll. It's new. Angels are flying everywhere she goes. Let's let the light in. This chapter has to close. An iron mask, a cattle prod Well, if I ask, she'll make me God A velvet voice will speak in tongues Like radium inside your lungs She's got my voodoo doll She'll throw it off a waterfall It's the only way 
say she loves me She has got my voodoo doll She's soaking it in alcohol It's the only way she knows it all To say she loves me A foreign feeling Irritates my skin As she's revealing A torso full of pins My logic fails Her order falls And pain prevails within four walls My arms and legs are tied in knots She hits me like a train of thought She has got my voodoo doll She'll hit it with a cannonball It's the only way she knows it all To say she loves me She has got never to doubt She'll throw it off a waterfall It's the only way she knows it all To say she loves me As she loves me Today, you hit me with a call to your place. Ain't been out in a while anyway. Was hoping I could catch you throwing smiles in my face. Romantic talking, you don't even have to try. You're cute enough to fuck with me tonight. Looking at the table, all I see is bleeding white. Baby, you living the life, but nigga, you ain't living right. Cocaine and drinking with your friends. You live in the dark, boy, I cannot pretend. I'm not faced, only you to sin If you've been in your garden, you know that you can Call me when you want, call me when you need Call me in the morning, I'll be on the way Call me when you want, call me when you need Call me out by your name, I'll be on the way Like, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm 
every time that I speak A diamond and a nine, it was mine every week What a time and incline, God was shining on me Now I can't leave And now I'm making hella illy Never want the niggas that's in my league I wanna fuck the ones I envy, I envy Cocaine and drink it with your friends You live in the dark, boy, I cannot pretend I'm not faced, only you the sin If you've been in your garden, you know that you can Call Me By Your Name, Montero from Lil Nas X. But you probably knew that. You're on Baytime, the gayest show ever. Maybe not, but uh, it's about as gay as I'm capable of. It's my love letter to San Francisco's LGBTQIA community. I'm Christopher Beal, sitting in the former yogurt studio turned BFF.FM studio in San Francisco's iconic ferry building. The shadows are not as long as, uh, as you would expect this time of day. Yay, daylight savings time. People are out walking. It turned into a nice day. How is it out? Um, out in the the outdoor microphone uh, area there. You mean out, outside? Yeah, yeah. Is it is exactly? It, is it cold there? Um, I'm wearing two pair of sweatpants over top of each other, a t-shirt with a sweatshirt underneath a pea coat. So and you're still I, cold. I, I I feel fine. <laughs> you don't feel fine because you. I don't know that you would have mentioned it if you felt fine. Well, I was pointing out that it's really hard for me to tell what it feels like because I'm under so many oh, layers. I see, I see, I and see. this pussy's on fire. So, you know, it's just keeping me warm. Messy, messy. Uh, we talked earlier about how uh, journalism has been your uh, your big passion. You, at one time, you were writing for 70 publications. I was. Um, you've written for a ton. I'm just going to mention a couple here. Huffington Post, Gloss Magazine, and uh, for the wrestling fans. And it, for the wrestling fans that are tuning in because they want to hear about Effie's uh, big gay drag brunch, we are going to talk about that. I added drag. Big it's gay, not. It's it, just it, Effie's it, big well, gay It's going to be a drag brunch when you get there. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, watch out, bitches. No. But um, that, we will talk about that coming up. But we want to talk about journalism because... Um, that's what I'm doing right now. It's yeah. something that you and I really connect on. Uh, writing is is an obsession. Where did you? Uh, when did you first discover that you loved writing? Have you always loved it? Or? I was in third grade. I was I, half expecting you to say no. Actually, I hate it. No, I love it. I, I so I was in third grade and I was in a, an English class or whatever you, you are getting when you're in third grade. Language and arts. There was literally one paragraph in a book, and it was like journalism is. Uh, you know, writing for newspapers and magazines or something like that. It was very brief. And I came home and I was like, Mom, I'm going to be a journalist when I grow up. And my mom was like, Okay, sure. So I. Um, <laughs> How old was you? How old were you? Like eight. Like eight, okay. So that year, normal eight year olds are not usually getting this for Christmas, but that year I got a 75 pound IBM Selectric uh, electronic typewriter. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so I. I and I started, so that was Christmas, and then within, by the end of that school year, I had started a school newspaper, and my friends and I would write, I would type up articles on this electric, and then my mom would take them to work and photocopy them, they were like 
five pages or whatever and we'd stapled them together and we would sell them at school for a quarter each oh my gosh so i was in love with journalism from that very young age and so also so entrepreneurial entrepreneurial exactly (laughs) and a hustler so that was the beginning for me and and it continued through you know all the rest of my growing up hard-hitting issues were you writing about at, at eight. that t- at eight, yeah. um, I like what, kind, what kind of hard hitting journalism could I have found in this staple packet? Yes, uh, w- one of them was that one of our classmates was killed in a hit and run. Uh, you know, wow. So of course it's like written by an eight year old. So I, I'm sure you know it wasn't tremendous. But I will say that even before that, I remember when I was in first or second grade, I wrote uh, and my mom still has it a story called the Rich Pig. Um, it <laughs> it was my first effort to, to write a book. It was about a pig who uh, was owned by a, a wealthy farmer who dropped his wallet while he was feeding the pig, and uh, the, the pig found it, and as a result of having all of the farmer's uh, finances available to him, he began acting better than all of the other animals in the, the you know, farmyard, barnyard, whatever, and they all disliked him, and at the end, the rich pig realized that um, all of the money that he had found did not make up for the, the loss of the friends. And so he gave the money back, and his friends celebrated oh, him. Exactly. Can I yeah. tell you a bad joke? Oh, God. Sure. Who are the sexiest animals in the barnyard? I don't know who. Brown chicken, brown cow. That, <laughs> yep. Well, at least you pair, like, you know, at least he gave <laughs> us a qualifier. I warned yeah, you exactly. that it was he really bad. Brown chicken, brown cow. Yeah. I'm, I'm approaching dad joke age. I hate so, to admit it. Right. That's. that's but journalism. That, my, my journalism <laughs> kind of interest started with that. And it continued. I was always involved in any kind of efforts for school journalism. I worked professionally at a very young age, uh, 15 years old. I was a stringer for the sports department of a uh, the Ocala Star Banner newspaper, which is a New York Times affiliate, and uh, left that job and went on to become a, a morning show host <laughs> on a Sunday mornings on WTMC, as I told you about. I was also doubled as uh, Huggy the Paradise Parrot. So if you would have come to uh, <laughs> Huggy the Paradise Parrot, what is that? It, it was the it was the mascot, and so you know it. Uh, whatever Christmas in July, and uh, the local community college when we would have promotional events, I was out there dressed in this extremely ridiculously hot Paradise Parrot outfit, and <laughs> children banging on my fiberglass beak, and having heat stroke because it's a million degrees in Florida, and I was covered in all that. But I went from there to, I I wrote for numerous small publications in that area, uh, regional newspapers and things of that nature. And I continued to write for localized newspapers all through college. I was editor of my college newspaper. I was editor of my high school newspaper. And I worked in that industry for a number of years. And, And as soon as I came here to San Francisco, I jumped back into it headlong. Actually, one of the reasons why I wanted to move to San Francisco uh, very much it was because I wanted to start my own magazine hmm. and Cleveland just wasn't a place where I could imagine that being financially supportable so yeah, yeah. I could see that being yeah. you know and Maybe then not. over the years like those dr- dreams come and go and dreams uh, take back seats to other dreams but I also as a, a young kid I'd always wanted to write for a professional wrestling magazine my biggest dream as a kid was really to write for pro wrestling illustrated Mm -hmm. and i sent many 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 submissions and pitches to those as a 14 15 year old 16 year old kid and i had actual rejection letters because people actually sent rejection letters in the mail back then to show for it but i can't decide if that's a thing i want back or not (laughs) you know it um it helps you stop wondering i guess 
you, you don't you don't want rejection letters in the mail? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I you still get them sometimes in the email. I think for me, what it was, and I saw this on LinkedIn just yesterday. This person said, you know. Um, you just keep trying. You have to keep trying. And and one of the things that I learned very quickly in the world of journalism is that uh, the memory of 99 no's disappears very quickly when you get one yes. That's true. So I can't tell you how many times I pitched different stories and different stories and different stories. And, you know, it took a long time for another dream publication, The Advocate, for, to happen for me and, you know, to write for The Advocate. And to write for Sacramento Bee, you know, like all these random places. So uh, that was, and then I became the editor in chief ultimately of Gloss Magazine for a number of years and that was super fun here in San Francisco. And, and then Huffington Post and Huffington Post is what allowed me to really kind of branch out in, and specialize. I specialized in celebrity interviews, interviewing celebrities, writing up interviews with celebrities and then ultimately I parlayed that into writing about professional wrestling which was the only person on HuffPost that was writing about pro wrestling at that time. And I want to talk about wrestling uh, here. We'll probably do that uh, definitely before you leave in the next 10 minutes. Um, why, um, why do you write? What is it about writing specifically today, just in, in 2021? Why do you still write? You know, at this point in 2021, the only thing I'm actively writing about at this juncture is trying to finish my book. I started this book a um, number of years ago, and if people were to go look it up, you can find bits and pieces of it on the Huffington Post, actually. It started publishing on the Huffington Post as a weekly uh, uh, episodic type of piece, very much in the vein of what you would find from Armistead Maupin's Tales of the City, which began as a Obsessed. column. Obsessed. Of course, Tales of the City started here in San Francisco as a column in the San Francisco Chronicle, and, and it became a daily thing, and ultimately he published it as an anthology in book form, and it became a bestseller. And and I swear to you, that's my ultimate end goal for this because I, I would love that, but or just to get Armistead to read it in general. But this started there, and it's actually a semi-fictional chronology and retelling of my first six months in San Francisco. Oh, it's very it's I love it because it has allowed me to really focus on some of the weird characters I encountered in those first six months to focus in on the trials and tribulations to remember the trials and tribulations of what it was like to be a 26 year old midwestern gay man who was making it in the big city and encountering uh, this host of really unusual characters and remember what the city was like at that time and so i've been delving into that a lot and one of the the elements that i recognized from doing so is that you know part of it there's a great deal of joy i just finished a chapter where i really focus heavily on two people I knew quite well at that time and myself as the central character, this interaction between the three. But one of the things I recognize is I love fictionalizing some of these people. And <laughs> what I mean by that fictionalizing is not so much fictionalizing the people that I was actually really well acquainted with, but there were so many unusual characters that I encountered and I never had real legitimate interactions with them. And I always at that time was so caught up in the wonder of these weird presences and personas in San Francisco. And so I'm giving backstories to some of these people who I'm sure most of whom are deceased at this point, mm. but it's, well, that's good. They can't sue. You. Yeah, exactly. But it's been, it's been very <laughs> interesting. I mean, they wouldn't recognize themselves anyway, really, you know? Um, but as an example, there, there was a character that I met when I, or I saw all the time when I first moved here, this much, much older gentleman, I would say probably in his seventies, maybe. And, full long white beard 
and he would come to the cafe in the Castro, the nightclub in the Castro, in a full wedding gown. And he would just be on the dance floor, like twirling and just having the time of his life. This older gentleman living, living his best life. And I was always wondering, like, who the hell is he? Well, in, in my book, he has a name. Uh, he has this tremendous backstory of, of how this all happened. And, and it was, it's been just a joy to sort of like wonder and to, to imagine what people's stories were because that's how I spent my first six months here was as a complete people watcher because I had no connections. I knew nobody and very, very limited social interaction. So I would just go out and watch people and wonder like, who is that? And what is their story? Well, professional wrestling shows are prime people watching, I would say. Absolutely. And we're finally going to get to professional wrestling. Give us uh, nine minutes. You're on Bay Time on BFF.FM. myself in the afternoon. Won't get out until the water's cold and I am blue. I see it. I'm killing doubts. So I just open up the door and I ring it out Don't you get too far from yourself You're so hard on yourself
BFF.FM. Best frequencies forever. How be a noble letter if you need to know me better? Cause I'm here on now. I'm with you now. Tell me the pain that you've been carrying I'm the same, darling But from here on now I'm with you now Every step that we take Could be another mistake I know that it's true But I couldn't take Making a mess
So much fun live from the ferry building on bff.fm you're on bay time i'm christopher beale sitting across from me right outside the window is Poyo del mar and we're finally going to chat about wrestling because i'm i'm certain that we have uh, some wrestling fans that have tuned in because yes. they, they want to hear what you're going to say about this weekend so oh. we're five days away from uh, effie's big gay brunch which is a a, a, pri- a, a an lgbtqia focused professional wrestling event yes uh, that's happening just down the street from the largest wrestling event wrestlemania and you are going to be there and not just be there like you're hosting the damn thing what's going on yeah i'm mind blown so uh, it's a perfect introduction that um oh thank you you just gave so evie's big gay brunch presented by game changer professional wrestling is the biggest collection of lgbtqia professional wrestling talent and personalities you will find anywhere it's only in one place it's going to be in tampa florida on saturday april 10th and you can join us if not live if you can be there live, great. Uh, go to Eventbrite and search Effie's Big Gay Brunch. Oh my Tampa. gosh, can you still get tickets? Yeah, you can still get. I think you can oh still get gosh. tickets. But if you can't join us live, definitely roll on over to Fight TV because Fight TV is the place to be on Saturday the tenth. <laughs> that was that was cheesy. That was uh, a little cheesy. But Fight TV is the place to be. But I'm so excited because 
true story a year ago when Effie and Game Changer did this for the very first time. Well, give us some background really quick before we go for there. Sure. Because uh, people listening may not be professional wrestling fans. They may not know anything about wrestling at all. So let's start with um, with what is Effie's Big Gay Brunch? Who is Effie? And uh, and why it's a big deal that this exists. It, you know, let's it, start there. It is a big deal that it exists. And I think that even if you're not a professional wrestling fan, I think if you even know the concept of professional wrestling at all, you recognize that it's a big deal to have a a space that is not only accepting and embracing, but promoting and actively working with LGBTQIA professional wrestlers because it's such an oxymoron. It just does not seem like it goes together at all, right? The yep. idea of this hyper-masculinized world of professional wrestling with, uh, you know, the full of LGBTQ plus people on the card. So that's one of the reasons uh, professional wrestling has not necessarily always been inviting to people like myself, a, li a lifelong fan of professional wrestling, but yet still an openly gay man. So I've been in a lot of spaces where I felt like I had to really tone down who I am just to be able to be accepted and embraced there and be, you know, to like sit in the seat I just paid for. So this is a space that is really changing the face and the world of the way we view professional wrestling as LGBTQ people. But um, and Effie is somebody who has done remarkably well making a name for himself as an openly gay personality and performer in the world of independent wrestling. He's traveled all over the United States and beyond and has really made a name for himself. And a year ago, he decided to work with Game Changer Wrestling, which is a promotional organization that works with a lot of smaller organizations to help bring together big weekends like the one we're having this weekend upcoming in Tampa, where it brings professional wrestlers from all over and puts them together on these huge, amazing shows. So, um, you know, Effie and Game Changer a year ago decided that they were gonna do this event and and it was it sold out. It was and it was widely considered uh, this weekend-long event called the Collective, which brings together the collective of different professional mm -hmm. wrestling promotions. It was widely considered the standout show of the entire weekend in terms of entertainment value, professional wrestling, and it was something that we had questioned whether or not it would actually be able to exist again this year because of COVID. But luckily, we are going to be together in Tampa this weekend, and it's going to be amazing. I'm so excited because for me. I'm going there not just as a talent, but as a fan of all these people who I've never actually gotten to meet or work with. And it's going to be, it's mind blowing that I'm actually part of this, much less the host of the whole damn thing. So you're going to be yeah. in the center of the ring, right in the center of the action the entire night. What are you the looking forward night. to most about Effie's Big Gay Brunch? For me, I think that the thing I'm looking forward to most is really that opportunity to come together with other people like myself, people who are whether they're entertainers that are on the show or the fans who are in the audience, people who appreciate and love professional wrestling, who appreciate and love the LGBTQ plus community and be in an environment where we can celebrate very openly and very honestly who we are without having to tone it down, without having to, to switch it up, without having to downplay any elements of ourselves. There's something, the idea of that is so freeing. And I've been really blessed Francisco, to be able to have explored the world of professional wrestling and to be able to make a name for myself um, on a localized level doing that. And now for me, it's so exciting to be able to take it into a platform that's legitimately going to be on a national and international level. Yeah, and it, it, it's 
it's it's special right now. It's a special time. I'm a huge professional wrestling fan. I've I've worked everything from uh, you know as a producer, as a referee, uh, even trained as a wrestler when I was uh, a little twink boy. And um, it, it, it hasn't. It wasn't always a safe space. No, and, it's not. And to a degree, there are there are elements of it that aren't now, which is why it's spectacular that this. There's no other way to say it. This big gay show Absolutely. is not only happening, but is is successful and is drawing people. And is um, everybody who's anybody in in queer professional wrestling is is at this event except me. Um, <laughs> well, and that's the mind blowing part for but me. But I can as fit well. in your roll your roller back. I think we can we can probably carry you on. Yeah. I can I can. Uh, Maybe get you registered as just an emotional support bread between now and, and Thursday. Uh, I can and then- register you as an emotional support <laughs> animal, and you could wear like a puppy mask, and I could say that you you know you're my support dog. But the the thing about this is again so mind blowing. A year ago when this first happened, I saw a number of my friends and people I admire who were on the show out out in um, gay wrestlers and performers, and they were on the show, and I thought to myself, my God, maybe someday I'll have accomplished enough that they will ask me. And then fast forward one year later, I'm the host of the whole mm-hmm. damn show. And, it's big. And, you know, Effie, Effie himself is the one who said to me, girl, I want you to realize you are the, you are the, the storytelling device, the whole thing from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. You're opening the show and you're basically closing the show. You're going to be out there every moment, pretty much. And no pressure. That's, that's when my <laughs> head almost exploded. I have, other than hearing that, I have zero ideas what's going down. But I will say that the, the level of talent, again, this is something I said recently on a podcast. When you're, if you're listening and you um, are not a member of the LGBTQ plus community, Great, that's fine. And if you love the world of professional wrestling and this sounds like something that's a little off-putting to you, please do not, for one moment, allow the fact that the entertainers on this show are LGBTQ+, dissuade you from showing attention or giving the show the proper no, attention not. it deserves. Because these are top-notch professional wrestlers who are very talented, well-trained, world-traveled, and super accomplished, who also happen to be members of the LGBTQ community and to go asking you to say like, oh, gay wrestlers are the same as straight wrestlers. What I'm saying is that these people have all the talents, accolades and abilities to be on any wrestling show anywhere. And we are just happened to be coming together to celebrate our identity on one show, Effie's Big Gay Brunch, Tampa, Florida, this Saturday, April 10th. Go online to Eventbrite, get your tickets or find us on Fight TV. Hoya Del Mar, where can people um, in the last two minutes of the show here, it's so nice hearing the Embarcadero Plaza. Um, where can people find your work? Where can people get in touch with you on social media? People that want to connect with you after hearing you on Baytime, where do they find you? Sure. Uh, the there's e- links in the description. Of okay. course. The easiest way to find me, I think, is just to do a fast Google, and that is the most <laughs> that is the most awkward thing you I've have ever a wiki said. Page. I'm impressed. You, know, you can do a quick Google Poyo Del Mar, P-O-L-L-O-D-E-L-M-A-R. It's gonna pull up a lot of things. There's also a band here in San Francisco called Poyo Del Mar. Um, no way. Yeah, they're a surf rock How does band. that work? I've always wanted to do a song with them because they don't actually sing. They just do surf rock, which is all music. And, of course, I can't sing either, but at least I can't play an instrument either. So I could just provide some kind of vocals. It would be Poyo Del Mar featuring Poyo Del Mar. That would be so fierce. But um, <laughs> the easiest place to find me on Instagram at Poyo Del Mar Fans. P-O-L-L-O-D-E-L-M-A-R-F-A-N-S. Christopher Beale, this has been a delight. 
It's been really fun having you. I, I don't think this will be your last visit to, uh, probably uh, not. to On Bay Time. You're flying out to Tampa on Thursday. Thursday and uh, are you staying for WrestleMania? I am, I'm going to be there the whole weekend. I don't know. You know, the way they're promoting WrestleMania, it sounds like there are more tickets available for WrestleMania than there are yeah. for Effie's Big Gay Brunch on April 10th. It's such a scramble because th- things weren't going to happen and it's, now they're going to happen. You know, it's going to be what it's going to be. And if you're a professional wrestling fan, at all even from beginner to like somebody who's obsessed like i am tampa florida this weekend is the only place to be really Mm -hmm. it is i'm I'm a little jealous i'm not gonna lie it's just gonna be crawling with wrestlers can we talk about um in the last 30 seconds of the show here um there's a thing called a twink gauntlet yeah what's that paro's twink gauntlet paro is this huge massive um stereotype breaking bear and he is on a search for the twink who can dominate him. So it's going to be Paro's Twink Gauntlet this Saturday. <laughs> yeah, this April is 10th, not, this is not your, your mama's heterosexual wrestling show. Pollo Del Mar, thank you so much. Live from the Ferry Building and all the time we have left. We have time for one more song and we'll see you next week live on Baytime. Bye. Bye.